Hey everyone, this is your host, Gons, and welcome to another episode of Startup Conversations, View from the CTO, a collaboration between Table and CircleCI, where we sit down with some of the greatest CTOs in Europe to deconstruct how to build and operate high-performing technology teams. My guest today is Marijn van Arley. Marijn is a co-founder and CTO of Florin, a company providing SMEs with smart, short-term working capital solutions. Moran has an impressive track record in the world of technology. He was a director of engineer at Trimble and Gary Technologies and co-founded several other startups, including Mishare and Perfect Blue. This path, working as a technical co-founder and director of engineering for so many years, taught Moran many lessons, and today he shares them all. Why? As a CTO, you should build authority and knowledge over everything happening in your company. The reason why you should keep your employees two different tracks for development and career growth, manager and IC. Why you should do demos of your team's new releases in front of the whole company and much, much more. This conversation was just a blast to have, so I hope you enjoy as much as I did. Hey, Maren. Uh, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Super excited. Thanks. Great to be here. So let's start with a quick one, with an easy one. What's, what's a two-minute version of you? Well, I'm the CTO of Florin. I've been, in the, I've been an entrepreneur for, I guess, since I was 18. So I've um, been working on uh, software, basically, uh, websites uh, uh, at first. And then that kind of escalated into uh, applications and companies and that escalated into startups, I guess. So um, I've always been working with my uh, uh, CEO, uh, Sven, who is the commercial uh, guy on our end. And uh, yeah, we've been developing products. Our company before Florin was um, a 3D viewer for building models, which is something entirely different. And we sold it to a US-based company. And before that, we had a couple of smaller initiatives. But uh, yeah, right now, a CTO of uh, Florin. So um, Cool. So... Uh, a CTO and, and founder, of course, of a, of a fintech company. What is the role of the CTO now, and how did that evolve uh, over time as the company grew? Yeah, when we started out, we were with um, yeah just the founders, of course, and and one software engineer. So uh, there was a lot of coding back then, obviously. So I worked on all the technology myself at the start, and um, yeah, that's just for getting the the proof of concept and the prototype in. And once you have some validation and once we got funding, uh, the role started shifting towards hiring, uh, especially. So building out your team and, you know, explaining to everybody what we're trying to do. Um, and now that we've grown even further, we're with, with about uh, 50 people now, of which I think uh, 16, 17 in the development department. So now it's more about, you know, what kind of company do you want to be and if, is the team... Uh, is the team all right? Um, coaching people in, in management roles, leadership roles, you know, trying to really build out a, a good structure. Absolutely. And, and we'll dive into recruiting. We'll dive into team culture uh, and how to build a high performance team in a bit. But any recommendation for first time CTOs? Imagine someone who came in at a 20, 30 something person company. There's some a bit of a team, right? They're asked to accelerate things. Any recommendation for them? Cool, that's hard. Um, 
I've never done that because I've always been a founder, right? So um, let's let's think. So once you join um, once you join a company with an existing thing, then I guess the the most important thing is to become like the knowledgeable enough and uh, to become like an authority because I think that's quite important if you're a CTO that you know you you have this sense of control over what you're doing and and an idea of what's happening everywhere and. I think that's re- as a founder, you know, I have this naturally because I was there when everything was set up. But if you come in, I think that's that's something. Uh, and if you don't do that, then I guess the other departments or your engineers or people, you know, they're going to run circles around you. So getting the knowledge of how everything really fits together and where the gaps are. And I think that's that that's something that you really need to do. And that goes further yeah. than just, you know, what platform are we using or what technology is it? I really mean like, how does the, the CRM and analytics and, and what are we really doing here? Yeah, how all the pieces fit together and, and where we're going and how all that pieces help us get there. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and at that stage, is, at least from, from what you said, that's where, where you need to start recruiting, building a team, uh, start thinking about uh, how that looks like. So the, the question is, like, the, the, the world changed quite a bit since COVID, right? Before that, most companies were local, so the talent market was local, right? You were competing for engineers uh, in a, let's say, 30-kilometer radius of your office. Of course, you could relocate people, but roughly, right? You were competing with the companies next door. Now we are competing with the companies everywhere, startups in the U.S., big tech companies in Singapore, whatever that might be. So how are you thinking about recruitment right now what does it take to recruit and retain talent in sort of this new post-covid world when the talent market is is global yeah that's a good one so i think it's always worked to our advantage this uh, location thing because we are a bit in the south of the netherlands which means that everybody who doesn't really want to go to amsterdam every day but does want an interesting startup to work for you know you can come to us so the location i think worked a bit in our favor and right now we see that it's we are competing more with you know the bookings and the Ubers and uh, the big Amsterdam uh, tech companies as well. So it's become harder in a way for us. So yeah, what do you do? What I think and what I've always thought is that the challenge in itself, that's what should entice people. So yeah, you should have you know nice uh, events and uh, days off and uh, you know all the check boxes you need. But the most important thing is. The, the actual challenge, right? People want something really interesting and cool to do where they can make it make a difference and where, especially for engineers, the technology needs to persuade them, basically. Like, yes, everything needs to be good, but it's everybody expects that, right? Everybody knows if you're working for a startup with money that you get all these nice perks. And, and yeah, it, we're, it's very rare that we can, can entice people with that. It's about the actual challenge. So we are wiring a billion uh, euros every uh, you know every few months we are you know uh, doing machine learning to improve so those kind of things that that that's what what brings people in so it's it's a complexity of a technical challenge yeah and for most of the people where it's been a really su- real success that was the differentiator yeah absolutely and and probably you could make the case that if someone is there for the football table they're not there for the right reasons <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Especially, you know, at a startup, if you, if you don't really want to dive into the work and be, you know, want to have the work, uh, you know, eat you alive, basically, then, um, yeah, then, then you should go somewhere else, I guess. <laughs> yes, I can definitely relate to that. 
what are some of the core personality traits you look for in new hires outside of their technical skills, right? Those are the foundation. But when you think about core traits, culture, what do you look for? I think most of it is the standard stuff, right? You need to be enthusiastic and motivated and you want somebody who really, you know, who really goes for a, for a challenge and, and who really, yeah, basically wants to change something drastically, right? You want to see that somebody has strong opinions on, on certain things and, and is really motivated to do something about it. So you should not be completely neutral towards all of the things because then, you know, then then you probably don't care. So that's one thing. And the other thing is maybe the opposite of that, but we have quite a stable team, I would say. So I'm, I also like people who are, how do you say, professional, I guess. So we don't come here for the foosball table, but, and, and also we're not going to let you work 80 hours a week. We know this, right? You're you're supposed to have a good work-life balance, and if you can do that and still be do great work, then you know you're in it for the long game, basically. So if you have kids and if you have other things to do and hobbies, and if you if you can can you know be professional about that, I think that's that's really important. We have that in our team. We have we have people that that you know they can separate their 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 private stuff and their work stuff. They can and and they know how to keep the balance, basically. Is that how you ensure that you have a stable team that you retain that talent and they stay there for, for, for years and years? That's sort of the, the goal? Yeah. Yeah. It's always a joke, right? If you're, you have this like methodology with sprints, but this is not about sprints. This is a marathon, right? This will take a while. Yeah, absolutely. And what kind of sort of career tracks or career pro progressions have you developed for your tech teams, right? You're thinking people who want to stay there for a decade plus, right? Yeah, so it's. Um, I guess it's a bit natural. I mean, we we took a good look at uh, other companies that have <laughs> open sourced all this stuff, basically, and I would encourage everybody to do that. So um, I think uh, you know, Basecamp is not the best example right now, probably, but their employees <laughs> are pretty nice, um, and that and it really hits uh, hits a lot of uh, interesting topics and and, and value. And, uh, and GitLab has a really nice one that I would encourage everybody to take a look at if you start structuring this because we. I mean, it's it's very good. You can uh, really learn from from what they've done. So what we have is an, uh, a two tracks, basically, uh, a management track and an individual contributor track. And if you're an individual contributor, you're about the technology, right? We have people who are really good at technology and not that good at leading people. But also, they, you know, if they're professional, they understand that about themselves. So they know that they're not natural leaders, but but they... But they are so good and they are becoming slowly an authority within the team. So people are listening to them and they're being an example for people. That's the individual contributor for us. And you can grow from junior to, um, what's what it called, staff engineer or something like that. So it goes, the, the main point is it goes higher than senior. You can, and also in salary, you can keep developing yourself, even if you're about the work. You don't have to be a manager. That is very, very interesting because... Most companies and most people don't recognize this. It's like the only obvious career path is to become a manager when some people are great ICs and they, they sh I don't know, why do you came to this conclusion? Like, how do you recognize this? Because it's, it's something that I try to do in my own work, but it's something that most people don't. Yeah, we, we, had, a, we had a big overhaul of this whole system. Like, how are we going to do all our job profiles and everything? So we took a good look. And we got inspiration from other companies doing this. And we saw this, I think, in GitLab. And then we saw the track of, and, and we immediately 
could think of two people in our team like yes this is them exactly so yeah we basically bounced off the job profiles to those people and said hey this is some role we have in mind for further growth and they said yeah this is me so that's <laughs> one of the things, right um, it's really hard to come up with a role if you don't have a have a person there or if you i mean you can do this when you are three people but it, it will never click because once you are bigger, then different people will emerge. And, and so my advice would be to really look to every job profile has these, this list of, okay, these three guys are in here. These two uh, girls are in there, right? So you need, yeah, that, that's what makes it works. So what practices, culture principles, or just routines or rituals maybe, do you use in, in your org to create a high-performing team, high-performing environment? And that could be anything, right? It could be from stand-ups to culture stuff. But I'm, I'm curious, so keeping the, the, the question open. Yeah, so I'll, I'll not go into the, the stand-ups things and stuff because that's, I guess, fairly standard. I think mm, two things we do differently, maybe do differently. Uh, one thing is we don't have QA. And we don't have a release team or something like that. So we take ownership of uh, monitoring, um, doing releases and doing technical support for the other departments. We take ownership of that within the development team. And we have like this um, rotating uh, responsibility. So uh, there are sub teams of two or three people who are working on something. And every sub team has the responsibility for one day a week to take care of these tasks. This I think is really important because if you have a bug or if you have a support issue or stuff, you really, um, yeah, it comes back to you. So that gives a huge sense of ownership on uh, what we're actually doing. And even, you know, you, you can't have everybody looking at everything. So that's why there's this uh, scheme in place so that you, you know, you also have other days of the week where you can work completely uninterrupted. And you have still are with two or three people, so you can divide up the tasks. So it's not like you have to be alert the whole day, every moment. But it, I think that's something that we're doing differently. And, and that means that the people who have that responsibility, they have to check all the errors and exceptions coming in. They have to check all the messages coming in from users or uh, our internal uh, departments coming in, like, hey, this button doesn't work. Why is that? And stuff like that. And they have to manage the release. So we do releases every day and sometimes multiple times per day. And it's, you know, it's a very automated process, but you do have to uh, take care if stuff goes wrong or you do have to make some kind of release note or um, sometimes you have to communicate. So there's this list of stuff going live and you have to communicate to people like, hey, your feature went live. And this is the responsibility of, of this group. It's especially the responsibility part that's important. So it's not that, it's not that much work manually, but, but if something goes wrong, then it's always clear like, okay, we own this problem ourselves. It's not some other department that, that has to fix this. It's it's the the ownership of the thing. Yeah. That's that's yeah. key. Yeah, and, and not saying they have ownership, but actually, you know, uh, pushing the ownership by letting people handle the issues. Well, what indicators, if any, of course, do you use to measure your software, like your team's performance? Well, if you look at indicators or, or measurements, I think we're not that good. We take the human approach, I guess. So what you do is you talk. You talk with each other after every project. So we take care to do a good retrospective at the end of every project and share that with the rest of the team. 
it's really important to us that we do that every time and that we do it well. So then issues come up, right? Uh, you have a lot of one-on-ones with all your people and you restructure them. So it's not like we're talking, hey, how are you? It's <laughs> it's about the actual performance, right? It's about uh, we, we have these things like uh, the quality of your work and the performance and um, the culture, the communication part. You know, you have a checklist of things that you want to discuss every time. And I think that's how we we manage performance and how we bring up issues and we we are not that good in the metrics part maybe we want to become better at that in the future but i think we are very structured about the human part of this i'm i'm, I'm curious can, can you dive deeper into your one-on-one structures and how you approach them how often do you do them what's the agenda like uh i'm 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 a big fan of structure one-on-ones so i'm curious so right now um we have like the, the I, I don't really do any, all of them anymore because it's, uh, that wasn't working out that well because I had two of any other things. So now we have the, we have a layer below that's, and they, they have like five or six people in their team that they do their one-on-ones with. And that's far more manageable, I think. Okay. So the one-on-one structure, I think um, it has, it has the human part, but we try to drill down from the actual performance review that you're going to do. So we have a quarterly performance review and a yearly performance review. And the points that we look at in this performance review should be addressed in one-on-one. So that is never a surprise. So you really want to talk about these things all the time because, yeah, well, you're going to grade. It it affects your salary in the end. So um, you really want to talk about those topics and you might talk about other stuff too. So performance is one, which is basically, you know, what can you get done? Is it above or below expectation? So uh, how many other tasks do you perform? How many, um, how many issues did you fix? Uh, how many new things did you create? Are you happy about that? Are we happy about that? So that's the, I guess the easy one. Then there's quality. So quality is, you know, you're doing a lot of stuff, but it's breaking, right? Um, or it's not well documented or uh, your planning is always off. So that's also quality, right? For developers, planning is part of quality because giving clear expectations on things. Um, if you're blocked, you know, are you are you gone for a week or are you communicating about, hey, I'm blocked with this and are you managing this process? So that's all those things are quality for us. How is your technical knowledge? Did you come up with a good solution or does it simply work? Um, development is a clear one. Did you learn anything new? Are you spending enough time to develop yourself? If not, you know, can we help you with that? And then the last one is engagement, which is more about, it's not about working 80 hours a week. It's more about communication. Are you transparent on your progress, right? Um, If things aren't, usually if things aren't going well, then people tend to, you know, hold their cards close to their chest and not really talk about it because, you know, it's not working. If you're a good communicator, then then we want to see those. That's all, that's what we mean with engagement, like communication. Uh, Do you take responsibility and ownership if something goes wrong? Are you pitching in during meetings, during retrospectives, you know? So those are the four things that we want to look at every, basically every one-on-one and every quarter and every year. Uh, that's, that's great. And uh, I, you said you were bad at the performance metric stuff, but I could argue that this is, is better because it's sort of a holistic all-around approach, right? It's not just about core numbers. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it works less well. That's what I'm still struggling with for the whole team. So if right. you want to say, okay, how is the whole department functioning? Yeah, that's that's a bit harder. So all I can say is, you know, with this structure where we're, you know, 
with this coaching structure, we're surely trying to get the maximum result out of the people. That's I'm confident about that. But on the department level, it's it's always really hard, I think, with engineering. Yeah, that yeah, that that, that makes perfect sense. Um, switch lanes a bit. Um, going back to to ownership. Um, do you let engineers pick their own tools? Do you aim to standardize tooling as much as possible? How do you think about that? Because that comes back to ownership, but also having a team-wide processes. There is freedom. Uh, I think in the end, the engineers pick the tools. However, it's not like an individual picks the tools. Uh, that, that doesn't work. So you have a certain amount of, some people say, uh, credits or tokens for you know doing fancy stuff. And... Um, and you really want to use the tools that you have and not rebuild stuff and because then you're wasting a lot of time on connecting things to each other and you know there's a good argument for standardizing so yes we do standardize i mean we it's not like you can't do anything else i mean but but yeah it has to make sense within the tools that we already use so yes there is freedom but then you also have to own the trade off so yeah we're going to switch uh, all our react infrastructure back to back to generating stuff on the server. Yeah, okay. Um, it's pretty cool that you're enthusiastic about this, but what's the consequence of that? You know, are we going to have half the application in there or, uh, and, and, and what then? So I don't think a lot of freedom. Yeah, I, I'm not against anything. I'm not really opinionated, but if you give it a good thought process, then usually you're going to standardize. It's, I, I don't want to sort of jump on the same thing, but at the end of the day, it comes down to like the, the theme of the conversation is ownership, right? Yeah. Uh, not just not not the tools, but rather just like it, it's it's ownership of the, of the entire sort of thing. As a CTO, right, and and a co-founder of the company, how, how do you sort of translate your ideas and your vision and the mission of the company into like terms or, or plans that the technical team can actually get behind? Um, yeah, that's hard always. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it takes time. And uh, what, what we do is um, at least we have a demo. So that means that we demonstrate everything that we've done to the company every every month. And But we also reversed it so that the, the sales and marketing and the, uh, finance department here they also have a demo where they, they demo what they've done. So that means that everybody's directions, basically, that everybody's going into are always communicated. Um, but that was not a direct answer to your question. Um, that works. Idea, that, that helps. <laughs> yeah. So so what we do in terms of the vision, uh, we have a plan for the year, of course, that we communicate uh, very clearly um, at the start of the year. And uh, during the... Uh, during the demo meetings, I usually give an update. Okay, so we had this plan for a year. It's been three weeks into the new year, and we are already doing different things. So let's, <laughs> I mean, that's fine. Um, let's, but let's, you know, let's address that and let's say, okay, this was the plan. This is where we deviated, and this is why, right? So I think you know, regularly repeating this stuff. Like, um, I'm always the one who pulls out the year plan again, only to say how we didn't do it. But that does give a real sense of, you know, that we are thinking about these things. It's not as an accident that we didn't do it. No, we considered it and there were alternatives and then we made this decision. So I think that's, that, that's the way that you do it. Um, and we have a, on Monday, we always have a check-in uh, with the whole development team where we basically address the major projects and how they're progressing. 
And one of the things is that if there is anything in general to update, so any direction changes, I address them and I give a short presentation or I let everybody know, hey, we're thinking about this. Yeah, so communicate a lot and repeat it. That's, that's what, what I would say. You mentioned Monday meetings and then one-on-ones and then team meetings with demos, but you also mentioned uninterrupted work. How do you think about meetings? How do you make sure that engineers have enough deep work time to actually get things done? Yeah, I think the meetings I, I if you have, you have these meetings and then you have the standups and then maybe a project check-in, but that's it. So I guess that leaves a lot of in uninterrupted time. So the only problem is for the manager people uh, because they are in like five different projects. So then you have five check-ins and then you have the one-on-ones and then you also have all the other demos that people have. So yeah, then it becomes a problem. But I think for developers, it's, I mean, you should ask them, but I think it's quite okay. Um, <laughs> I think it's like one, I think it's maybe two meetings a week and your standards, two or three a week or something. I, I think that's the, that's the goal. Unless of course you're, you know, actively preparing a new project or yeah, or those kind of things. But then I don't think that's meetings. That's more working together. I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But this goes back to the sort of the IC versus manager thing, right? ICs need that block of time, but, but managers don't. Their actual job is to be in those meetings. It's not a waste of time. It's what they need to do, right? It's to keep, keep a pulse, to get, uh, to keep the ball rolling, to make sure that everyone in the team is okay. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and another thing you could do is we try to have regular um, time slots for these things. So yeah, if you have a project check-in meeting at the start of the project, we lock in that slot for six weeks. So um, so you can plan around it, right? You, you, you try to not do it at uh, 10 in the morning or at two or three in the afternoon, but you try to keep it close to lunch or close to the morning stand-up, you know, that's small things. And, and by keeping it at the same time always, um, it's much less of a distraction because, you know, you can plan around it. You can plan your day around it. You mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, sort of the one of the things that you use to to attract and retain talent is sort of the complexity of the technical challenges. How how do you balance the short term revenue requirements, like any company has, right, any startup has, against like long term tech development, right? Uh, you're mm-hmm. you're not you're not running like a novio sort of. You have a lot of complex technical challenges. That's what I'm trying to say. You're not running like a very like standard thing, right? It's not an e-commerce company. It's yeah. you, you're dealing with money and, and, and lending, and uh, so like, yeah. Um, so how do you balance the long-term things versus the the, the short-term uh, task, right? Right. So short-term you... revenue requirements with the long-term like tech development, right? How do you make sure that you yeah. still have the north star over there? They should be connected. They don't, the, I mean, it's if you have to do something in the short term, it's probably because there's a good reason for doing it. So, I'm, I'm, and then you, we should do it. And then it should also be part of the long-term vision. So I don't think the two have to necessarily block each other unless, uh, unless you're talking about, you know, things like improving your, te- uh, maintaining technical depth, for example. Yeah, that's something that you eventually, you have to push that through uh, once in a while. To make sure that you're doing get great and you can that's long term i guess um 
what we do in terms of our roadmap process is we try to keep the, the time frame that we think of as short. So yes, we have a year plan, but it's an idea, right? So every six weeks, we have a cycle that we work on and a project. And then we have two weeks to pick up all the stuff that came up in between. And then we again have six weeks to work focused on a project. And that cycle goes for the entire team and actually for the company, because there's also other departments involved in these projects. So everybody kind of knows this cycle also because there's a deadline when you can get a new project in, right? Um, and six weeks is a nice, I think it's quite nice because you can, you know, you can really do something there. It's not like a two week sprint. And um, yeah, it gives also time for planning and stuff. So usually something big, you can see as a chain of six weeks projects. So like two or three, six weeks projects, but eventually every project has to ship something, right? So it's not like you're doing six weeks on some technical stuff that doesn't do anything. It should do anything after, it should do something after six weeks. Yeah, and but but you always know that after six weeks, there is no guarantee that your next project will go through, right? Because that's the flexibility that we need. So you have a project for six weeks, then we decide with the management team and all the stakeholders, you know, what, what's the next cycle going to look like? And that's it then. And yes, usually there's some kind of continuity, but I think the flexibility is far more important than the this long-term vision thing that might happen. It's like the six weeks is the forcing function uh, to yeah. A, to ship something that's usable instead of less having like a six month project. Um, yeah. And then to to put out like a hard stop so you can actually rethink priorities. Okay, let's let's sort of assess what we should be doing. So you cannot you cannot change the time. It's six weeks. So (laughs) that's the only thing that's not flexible. The six weeks. Yeah. So you have to scope it basically. You have to think, okay, I'm three weeks in and we have this huge list over here and yeah, this won't work. So then you can't change the six weeks. So you have to change the scope. You can't say, okay, yeah, we'll take two more weeks and then everything will be done. That never happens. Yeah, you have to cut the scope, basically, if you can't change the time. Interesting. Yeah, it's all about trade-offs, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, we we stole this from Basecamp, by the way. So no, uh, or stole this roughly from Basecamp, I guess. Adapted this. They're doing it differently, I'm sure. But uh, but we we did really like this six week and we tried it out a couple of times. And first we had them staggered. So everybody had their own six weeks projects. And then we, this year, we synchronized everything across the whole company. And that, that really helped. Well, I'm, I'm curious. Uh, why? Yeah, because um, it makes it easier to switch people around. Because we have, uh, we have specialists and we have, most people are really full stack with some, you know, some things they like to do. So you can switch them around a lot easier if the projects end at the same time. And also uh, for uh, the manager people and the planning people, it's a lot easier to centralize your your planning moments uh, instead of um, yeah instead if you have staggered projects you're basically planning all the time and it's it's it got really annoying also <laughs> with the rest of the business it's also yeah we're going to do this project now and in two weeks one more and people are constantly uh, thinking okay is there capacity to do this because they're never sure when people are free again so this is this is far more efficient and, and nicer for everybody. Absolutely. I, I can see that. <laughs> so what's keeping you up at night over the next 12 months or so? Ooh, um, I think, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a founder, right? So the technical things, um, yeah, we, we have a few fancy technical things that we want to do um, and not so fancy. So we have, we have a, a lot of uh, security and compliance projects coming up where we have to do like a huge audit and get a certification. And it's, I mean, I'm sure we'll manage that because we are already uh, supervised by the Dutch Central Bank and, you know, we know how to do this stuff. But the thing that's keeping me up is, I guess, if we can remain as flexible as we are right now while doing all that. So that's something that I'm thinking about a lot. And the other thing is, you know, COVID um, and the, the recovery and from the economy, but that's not really technical. But for us as a business, that's, this is a really interesting uh, time for SMEs and for, uh, you know, for all businesses and, and I guess for everybody, but from a financial standpoint, it's really interesting how our market's going to react and, and interest rates and uh, lending and, and, and uh, government support programs that are slowly being phased out, you know, what, what tax relief is, is some is going to be phased out. And it's, I mean, I think we're very, very well prepared for this, but it's new territory. So that's, yeah. It's new territory for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Let's, let's wrap up with a fun one. What, what writer or book has got the greatest influence on your career and why? Ooh, book. I need to think hard about that. So I'm reading Extreme Ownership right now. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, that's really, I mean, it, it's really, I, I will, I'm already talking a lot about ownership. So it really hits, uh, it really triggers me. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I love it so far. So that's one, uh, that's one thing that I really like. It was actually recommended by me from uh, somebody from the sales department with us, but it really <laughs> acts well for me as well. And another book, I think the, the, the first one from, uh, uh, from uh, Basecamp or from 37 Signals, it was called back then. I have to come up with a name, but they had rework and they had the first one they had. That was really a big one for me. The one on developing software. Yeah, but we're, I mean, you should have a list somewhere with all their books, right? It was a long, long time that I read it, but uh, Getting Real, that one. Yeah. Getting Real. Yeah. Getting Real, the right, first right. one from them. That 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 was a really uh, important one for me. Why? You, you reference Basecamp uh, quite a bit. Well, what attracted you so much about how they, they work? And I know what's going on with Basecamp, feel free to skip that one. <laughs> Yeah, I have no opinion on that as well because we're, yeah, I don't, I don't know, uh, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know anyone there. Um, no, no, but the, the the question wasn't on on the politics of the workplace, but rather about the like sprints and and uh, the the book and you think about sort of working similar things, but like <laughs> I'm not gonna dive into politics and base camp. Yeah, so what I like about their approach to this is the, I guess, the common sense approach. I mean, maybe it's because we're Dutch or something, but we're, you know, we're um, we're simple people, you know. Um, we like to keep things simple and think, you know, think about stuff and not use the buzzwords and come down to the, to yeah, getting real, basically, about the real topic that you're addressing. So if you make a job profile, you think about, you know, do the people understand it? Does it hit it? Not does it hit all the buzzwords and are the world are, is the word culture in there? And, uh, you know, it's about, yeah, the real stuff. Basically it's about, 
um, and not performing the motions like uh, like with Scrum. I think a lot of I, I love the the methodology itself. Nothing wrong with it, but a lot of people are just going through the motions. And Basecamp is really and thirty seven and with this book they are really against all that stuff. And I yeah I love that. Absolutely, getting real, uh, having clear ownership, being clear. Uh, that's a perfect place to to end on. Thank you so much for your time, man. Uh, really appreciate it. It's been great. Cool. Thanks for having me. Hey, this is Gons again. If you enjoyed this episode of Startup Conversations, please let us know by leaving an honest review. If you'd like to hear more conversations like this one or find out more about the collaboration between Seedtable and CircleCI, visit seedtable.com forward slash conversations. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. Ciao.